Welcome to the Tech Hustler podcast. This podcast is for you if you want to hear the unfiltered stories from inspiring tech entrepreneurs. I started this podcast and the community to create what I was missing in the tech industry today. My mission is to make space for women in tech by creating a platform where they can connect, get inspired and gain new knowledge that will help them to accomplish whatever they are dreaming of. It doesn't matter if you're a tech founder, an employee, or dreaming of launching a startup. This podcast is for you. My name is Ivana von Proschwitz, and I'll be your host. It's time to start hustling smarter, not harder. Today's guest is Maria Hedengren. She has extensive experience from executive leadership positions in international corporations, companies that have been in rapid growth through transformation and digitalization of traditional analog or brick and mortar industries, and where success is built on use of massive amounts of data, technology innovation, and an agile company culture with value-driven leadership. She has scaled both public and private tech companies and expanded them internationally. She has been leading private funding rounds as well as IPOs. Her experiences include positions such as CFO of iSettle just before their IPO when they were acquired by PayPal and CEO of Readly as it IPO'd in 2020. Today, she spends her time working in a number of non-executive boards coaching and advising startups and scale-ups and doing angel investments. Warm welcome to the podcast, Maria. Thank you. I'm so excited that you are here today. Thank you. I'm also excited, looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, me too. And I have been following your career uh, and you have done so amazing things and and had such amazing positions. I've been fortunate in having a very interesting uh, career, yes. Yeah, and uh, you have been working at very cool startups or or scale-up companies like iSettle and Readly Mm -hmm. in the middle of their expansion and and IPOing. So, yeah, tell me more about that. Like, how did you you start in tech? Did you always want a career in tech or how did it happen? No, I mean, I, I come from, it was like, 25 years ago that I started my career, so I'm coming old now. Um, And I actually started as an auditor way back. And it was, to become an auditor, it's almost like, uh, I usually say like doctors, you know, when they do their internship right after school. So it's uh, still, you still don't know much. You don't have a clue about the real world, but it's like a prolongation of of a university, you just work and party, <laughs> basically. But it was a great, uh, it was a great start uh, to to learn about businesses. And but I uh, figured out that uh, I was never sort of meant to be an accountant. And uh, so my first uh, step into 
the IT world at that time was called IT. Now we call it tech. Sounds a bit cooler. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, it was uh, in the year 2000, I became uh, CFO of a listed um, IT consulting company called Resco. And I entered the scene just before the dot-com crash. So I'm getting some deja vu <laughs> now. Uh, uh, at that time, it was IT consultants. The companies were valued based on how many people they were. They had hired, uh, the whole industry had hired a lot of people. And just months before, uh, after I joined, we had to start, um, unfortunately, make redundancy programs. And so it was a tough start, uh, but it, it, it's a good, good uh, lesson. Uh, and since then, I've been uh, in IT and then later in uh, tech companies. And uh, so it wasn't something I'd planned or been introduced to during school. But uh, I think I found out that about myself that I uh, I really enjoy high pace, uh, innovative environments. Um, I'm, I'm a person who likes to build things and create things. Uh, I'm not somebody who um, is passionate about administrating and maintaining things uh, when they have become sort of mature state. So, so I think that's why the IT and tech industry has just fit my personality and uh, provided a lot of uh, interesting challenges and um, situations that I've been thriving in. Mm. And I totally understand. I'm the same. I don't like uh, like repetitive things and like maintaining. I also like to build and and uh, come up with new creative solutions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's very interesting that you're mentioning that you started your um, career in the like um, IT bubble crash, and you can see that or get a deja vu now. Because I think like for first time founders that just started their company like a year or two years ago, mm. this is super scary. Yes, of course. So what can you, like what message do you want to give to, to all those founders? Oh gosh, I, I, I don't have a universal fix for this. I'd be like Nobel Prize winner. Um, I think focus on the core. Uh, you know, what are we best at? Uh, where can we monetize the quickest and the best right now is probably one thing. Um, and uh, it's very hard to maintain like long-term strategic view, but, but uh, you know, reality, you just have to make redundancy to make uh, burn rate go down. But to the extent possible, try to not lose sight of what's there in the future so you um you maintain like a core that you can then build on when you have raised enough funds again and the climate is is better it's i remember back then it was a lot about you become in a in a vicious spiral easily uh where you start cutting on sales uh cutting on marketing uh, and those kind of things, which is uh, unfortunately a lot of time hurt you because it it reduces your ability to generate revenue. So I, I don't have the magic crystal ball of what the right balance is, but try to preserve revenue generating capacity uh, in, in this uh, situation and, and focus on what you're absolutely best at, I guess. Mm, but I think that's good advice. 
And also maybe don't panic because there will be an after. Because if you if you read the media and like the news, it's just like yeah. dark, dark, yeah. dark cuts, layoffs. But but I mean, and it can be sometimes hard to see like beyond what's going to happen beyond. And maybe just remember this is a phase. Mm. Like it's not going to be like this forever. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of... Uh, startups are in fundraising mode at the moment and uh, cycles to close uh, funding are extremely long and uh, it it then takes up a lot of um, the bandwidth of the founders who are out there and have to uh, talk to investors and it's very easy then to Because you only have 24 hours in a day, right? So how can you maintain also uh, gen- uh, revenue generation uh, capacity or whatever it is? Maybe you haven't even launched yet, you know, you're so so it's about you have to like really engage the entire team and, and trust them to figure it out, you know, even if you're out meeting investors all day long and, and um, leverage the whole team like it's... Um, mobilizing everybody at the front mm. <laughs> yeah mm. yeah but th- that's a must i mean you have to do what you have to do mm. for your business to survive yeah but tell me about um scaling a business mm. like you when you were at readly in 2020 like that was also like during beginning of the pandemic i mean it was not stable happy happy times then either like how How do you scale or prepare a company to scale? I think there are uh, a lot of things and and I I try to talk to uh, founders, entrepreneurs, leaders of young companies uh, that scaling starts the day you send in the registration to uh, the corporate house, Bolagsverket, uh, to always think, uh, how can I handle, uh, you know, a thousand customers, not just one. Uh, and it's not just about it. Part of it is how you build your uh, KPIs and your data sets to, uh, and systems. Uh, so you don't, it's easy to say, oh, I don't have to invest or think about how I'm going to manage customer data uh, because I only have five customers right now. So I can do it in this Excel spreadsheet. But But I've also seen companies that when you reach a certain point, it's very easy to end up in extremely costly uh, projects uh, that take a long time to refactor the platform or restructure the database um, because you did quick fixes uh, for a long time. Uh, so th- think uh, big, think really big. Uh, how do I manage five billion transactions instead of just five? How's that going to work? Just have your, don't lose sight of that. Uh, and, and I also think, speaking of the situation we're in, uh, where founders uh, and, and leaders might have to work a lot on crisis management and fundraising, uh, to also think about a scalable leadership Uh, and and so I talk to people about that. So it's very easy when you're when you start out uh, that you actually become 
you become a, an involuntary bottleneck. I'm sure that no founder want to end up there, but it's very easy to do that uh, because when you're small and uh, you're passionate about your business and you have all these ideas and you just tell every people where they should go and and your thoughts about that and what happens then when you uh, start recruiting more and more people is that they become dependent on you as the entrepreneur uh, to tell them where to go, what to do. Um, so how do you have a leadership style from day one that foster a culture of trust, that you trust them uh, to run uh, and come up with the solution? So you tell them, uh, this is where we're going, this is our goal, uh, but allow them to experiment and to fail uh, and to... Uh, build a confidence that they can solve problems uh, on their own and that um, because when you then end up in situations where you don't have time for the team, like in a crisis, how can you, if you have built a team that trusts their own capability and they know your vision, but they don't rely on you to make every single decision on what color to use for the web page or whatever, you trust their competence, um, then you will have scaled yourself and you will not uh, prevent the company from succeeding by not being in every corner all day long. And it's uh, harder than it sounds, especially when you start out a business because you have this passion, this clear view. You've been maybe thinking about this for a long time and uh, it's very good uh, to be a sort of passionate visionary leader, but but uh, at the same time, you need to trust the team to make their own daily decisions, I think. Mm. Yeah, and that's so important because no one wants to work for a boss that just points with the firm hand and say, do this. I mean, then, yeah. then you wouldn't go for a startup. No, you wouldn't. But to be honest, I also think sometimes people think it's kind of nice to have that direction and uh, maybe uh, have that uh, a very strong leader have that they they think it's synonymous with somebody to tell them exactly what to do every day and it's kind of nice not having to take your own decisions you know because something goes wrong then it's not your fault and uh, you don't have to like uh, it's not so scary to step out of your comfort zone so i think uh, constantly encouraging people to step out of their comfort zone and foster that kind of culture that they are the heroes. Yeah. Uh, I think that's uh, that's the foundation uh, of a true success. Yeah, I totally agree. And also um, developing people, like empowering people, mm -hmm. that also makes them stronger in your brand or your mm. company stronger yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting that you mentioning that people sometimes want a firm leader that tells them what to do. And because that, I mean, this is a paradox we are in now, yes. I think. Like the old leadership styles where there is a white man just like being <laughs> firm and like taking all the decisions and Take saying, taking charge, like <laughs> yes. showing that they are the brave, uh, strong leader with steering with a firm hand. And then you have everything that's happening, that's happened now with COVID and like working from home and people realizing more 
um, that they want to be in charge and they want to contribute more than just have someone tell them what to do. And we have also this whole discussion with um, with women and female and female leadership styles that are totally different. So female leadership styles are more based on uh, building relationships and like um, innovation and uh, intuition and like like you said, also empowering other people and coaching, maybe a more, more coaching approach to empower others to take the decisions and dare to, to step out of their comfort zone. So how do you see that playing out um, in the future? I don't know. It's interesting you say that. I haven't actually seen any data on female leadership style uh, expressed the way you talk about it. Uh, to be honest, I always found it a bit stuck between a rock and a hard place as a female leader because there is a preconceived notion of what you're supposed to be like when you're a female. Uh, and if you are not uh, portraying um, stereotype female behavior uh, in the room, uh, then you become this anomaly and uh, uh, then you become, you can be called a cold a bitch or um, I don't know not seen in a positive light uh, you can get feedback like oh you should be more vulnerable uh, things like that uh, I'm not sure how many men get that feedback to be honest uh, uh, or people are a bit afraid of you and uh, You know, this is, maybe we're getting off topic here. No, uh, no, no, it's definitely uh, in topic. <laughs> this is a very interesting topic. Yeah, so um, I had this conversation with, uh, I, I meet a lot of women and uh, it's it's not that I have take a decision not to work with men. I really like working with men and I believe in gender balance. So I think teams need to consist of men and women to be the most successful, right? But I think right now I'm focused on supporting female entrepreneurs because I think they need all the help they can get, to be honest. So that's sort of my my focus right now. And I had a, a conversation with a female entrepreneur a while ago and we just realized that we've both been getting feedback sometimes that, uh, you know, sometimes uh, people can be a bit afraid of you. And we both then realized that we only have gotten this feedback from men. And when uh, we talk to women, uh, we get more positive feedback, actually. And maybe it's a coincidence, but I'm not sure. Uh, because I've often gotten positive feedback from from women that... They feel it's good that I'm straightforward. They know that I don't have hidden agendas and I'm a non-nonsense person. But they also actually, a lot of time, I get feedback that I'm a warm person. So you can be a warm person who show empathy and care, but you can still be uh, a non-nonsense person when you're in a discussion about something. Uh, so I never gotten that feedback from a female, actually. Maybe there are females out there now who think, yeah, we're afraid of you. And then please... <laughs> Please give me that feedback. <laughs> I, I like feedback. Uh, but nobody has told me that to my face. Uh, uh, I only got some positive feedback from women and some men. I also get positive feedback from men. But uh, when on a few occasions, some people have said, maybe people are a bit afraid. It's been men. So we had this conversation because she had experienced the same thing. And uh, we just had this, maybe it's because we don't behave 
like people expect a woman to behave and then uh, people don't know how to interpret you yeah and think that maybe you're angry uh, because you have a certain tone of voice or body language i i walk uh, with uh, heavy steps when i walk for example i don't know uh Yeah, we got a bit off topic here, yeah, but but we talked about leadership style and then uh, if the old paradigms of good leadership now meets a new expectation from uh, new generations of team members. And uh, to come back to that topic, there are a lot of people who have since birth uh, been fostered in a leadership paradigm that what what is good leadership and i still think that feeling secure that the leader uh, has the ship is it doesn't matter it's still important uh, the question is what kind of focus that person has is it being really clear of this is the kind of behavior and culture Uh, I expect here and this is where we're going this is the goal and uh, being firm in taking people back to that core uh, or is it being firm about uh, exactly what to do every day so I I still think that a leader needs to show confidence and be sort of safe harbor of where we're going but not necessarily telling people exactly how to get there mm. because otherwise why do you need a team yeah. um you should just clone yourself clone yeah <laughs> i mean you hired all this talent right and yes. um i think that if you if you think you're the one who has to make every decision then you are limiting uh, the company's ability to succeed to what you know your opinion, your experience, your skill set. So how do you leverage the entire team? Um, Still, you need to be displaying a certain confidence as a leader, I Mm. think. Yeah, I agree. You have to be good at, like communicating the vision and like the direction mm. absolute but then you can do that in different ways yes, of, course. of course like how you how you put the words and how you how you do it um and i totally agree like companies spend a lot of money and hours like looking for the best talents mm. and then they don't utilize them mm. by just t- telling them what to do so i definitely agree like as a leader you have to be you have to uh, be a safe harbor for people or your team and but also give space for your team to show what they can and also to shine because you have to be confident in that you have the right people on board then give them that mandate or that space to show what they what they can do and and grow also in their roles and then like you said it's not just up to your opinions of what you know then you actually leverage the knowledge in the room or in the team, then that's super important. But coming back to the 
leadership styles because I think that's it's definitely a paradox. I mean, it's hard. It's 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 hard for women to be this perfect leader because you're always going to be judged. You're always going to be seen as too firm or too too strict. Or I mean, we have and definitely coming back with what you said, also different expectations, but. For for me, it's the op. You said that you can be perceived as um, that people scared for you, <laughs> but for me, it's the opposite. Like people usually underestimate me because I'm not the one like uh, going with the firmest steps and like not taking space and like yeah. the mo the person that speaks the most or like with the strongest voice. But I then people underestimate me that I'm weak or not that this strong leader. But then when I come forward and then they get surprised, they're like, whoa, where, where did you, where did you come from? So that it can be the opposite yeah. as well. No, it's, and that's why I say yeah, it's like being between a rock and a hard place. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes as a woman, because you're either dismissed because uh, you don't take enough space. And when you do, then you're also stepping outside of, some uh, bias of what a female, uh, a woman persona should be like. And then that's also not good. No, <laughs> so, no, exactly. Yeah, I hope uh, I hope uh, with the generations to come, that's not going to be the case anymore. No, know. I'm hopeful. I, I still see a shift, even though we are behind. Yeah. And like uh, COVID and, and the situation in the world has also done made that we ha have stepped back uh, several steps in, in gender equality and yes. on different areas, yeah. which is very frustrating it's and tragic. sad. Yeah. Uh, but I still see glimpses of hope and, and the different conversation. I think that people react more when 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 leaders are being sexist or like behaving in a bad yeah. way. People are more likely to stand up and and say that's not okay now than before. I, that that's my feeling at least. So so I'm hopeful that there will be a shift. Me too. Yeah, good. But um, you are uh, an angel investor today, and you are also a startup coach. Or yes. you, you meet a lot of um, yeah. founders, and especially in the early stage. So tell me about like. Um, we can first start with the investing part, like you as an angel investor, what do you look for and like how do you evaluate a very early startup? Is there a specific point you're looking for? Um, yeah, how, how do you have a process or you just a gut feeling? How do you go um, about it? I think it's a combination of process and gut feeling. Uh, and uh, I think I look a lot to uh, the founders. Uh, I. I'm not unique in saying this, but investing in early stage, it's really about investing in people's vision and not just the vision, but the uh, the grit and ability to actually come to market with that vision in sufficient pace. Because I think there are so many awesome ideas and solutions to real problems. Um, but... Uh, for various reasons, uh, they don't come to market uh, quick enough, which means they get uh, overrun by uh, competition. Somebody steals the idea or came up with a better idea or um, and it sort of dies out. Um, so, And then I look 
at what we just talked about, actually, has the founder both a track record, of course, and grit and and uh, and uh, vision, but also do I see evidence of them leveraging other people, or are they very much a one man band or their their own solo show? And um, how do they uh, do? They have uh, co founders, for example. I think. Uh, a lot of uh, companies would uh, make use of several founders because you become more resilient. You can leverage more um, ideas, brain power, and uh, days in the you know hours in a day to solve problems and come up with great solutions and soundboard ideas. So, but it, if if you don't have a co-founder, it can be other ways. You see how people, what kind of people do they bring on board in their team? Um, how do they uh, leverage those people? Uh, do they have people on the board or advisory board? And and not just do they have this great list of advisory board, but ask them. Uh, how do you use your advisory board? Because some people, they have a great advisory board to show on the pitch deck, uh, but in, but it's more like name dropping and they haven't really uh, leveraged those people's capacity. So uh, it's really about evaluating the person's leadership styles and ability to leverage other people is a very critical element, I think. Um, and um, also how far have they gotten in their idea? Uh, have they uh, started to launch? Is there any proof that uh, their product is hitting a sweet spot? And uh, I think I prefer to invest in problem solving. Uh, and what I mean by that is companies can become very successful in just leveraging a business model, for example. Uh, but maybe not really solving a problem, but having a new way of selling an existing product and you just do that in a better way and then make money. And that can be a successful way of creating a business and and, uh, generating shareholder value. But I think my focus is more on, is the company actually solving a problem that... uh, hasn't been solved Uh, and sometimes you don't have to be it's quite expensive to be first so sometimes it's actually good to uh, just refine uh, something that's already out there or you're hitting a market that that other competitor isn't hitting at all for whatever reason but but uh, prefer to help entrepreneurs that are sort of breaking new ground but it's also higher risk of course it is Um, what else am I looking at but it's more expi- exciting. It's back. exciting, yeah. but I think, yeah, yeah, it's exciting. But it's always when you enter, uh, when you start out investing in companies, it's important to sort of think about your own risk profile. What I, what do I want out of this? Why am I doing this? Uh, what kind of risk am I willing to accept? What stage am I going to enter into? How much money can I afford to lose? Uh, it's very important. Uh, what kind of ticket size, what kind of portfolio do I want to build? Uh, so, and then um, right now, uh, I tend to become involved somehow in the companies I invest in. So I haven't invested in that many yet because uh, I also want to be smart money. Yeah. So uh, that I contribute with more than just cash, but that I can help them 
uh, in other ways, either as a coming on board the board or being part of advisory group or uh, contribute in other ways. And that's also something that when you start investing in companies to think about that. Um, yeah, and that's very valuable mm. for the founders as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah, and that's maybe a good question for founders to ask the investors or angel mm. investors, like how much time do you have you can spend or advising us or, mm. or like open doors or yeah. what contacts do you have, yeah. what experience do you have and, and things like that before they uh, accept an invest investor or angel investor. Yeah, so what industry are you most interested in or what kind of um, area? I tend to look at areas that I understand a little bit. Um, and uh, maybe that's because I also combine that with sharing know-how and advice um, so um, uh, tech-based a lot of the time or an element of subscription or recurring revenue model, um, uh, technology-based, uh, not uh, physical products. Um, I don't uh, yet invest in like deep tech uh, or... Um, I'm invested in Ella, for example. That's a medical app, but not uh, advanced medical equipment or things like that. So, uh, yeah, mostly digital uh, companies. But it's a good rule to, to invest in the companies that you understand and have experience from, because then you can help the founders as well. So what kind of founders like do you meet? Where are they in the journey and... What are they struggling with today or when you meet them? Uh, I I tend to meet investors that are about to start fundraise, uh, which is natural, right? It depends on what kind of context they've seen you in. And so uh, they reach out because they think maybe I have advice on how to prepare for raising money. Um, right now I meet mostly companies in pre-seed or seed uh, phase. Uh, I'm also engaged in FemInvest. Um, so I meet a lot of entrepreneurs uh, there uh, and they are usually in uh, seed uh, phase or pre-seed. And um, they, yeah, so how to prepare for fundraising, how to think about that. I also get questions on because I'm a board pro, uh, how to think about forming a board. When should you do it? What kind of competences? How should you go about finding people? And um, then my advice is actually to really think hard about, is it a board that you need right now? Uh, I think uh, first make sure you have uh, a solid core team that can actually execute as well because uh, it depends on different board members invest different amount of time of course but the majority uh, of people who who work as sort of professional board members they have a quite little bandwidth to spare and it's also uh, if you look at uh, Swedish tradition in corporate governance the board is there to 
be sort of an objective representative of all shareholders. They are not supposed to be uh, operational in the company. So don't look to a board to solve your bandwidth problems uh, and hope that they can sort of do a lot of work that you don't have time to do. So I I, I first look at you have uh, the right people close to you that can do the daily job uh, before you start thinking about adding uh, professional board members. Um, And um, what else do they ask about? Just experiences from from the companies I've uh, worked in, the kind of industries I've been into. Um, Some are very early ideation stage and haven't even launched a product yet. So it's very different. It's I, I, I love what I do because I, I'm i also on uh, boards of more mature companies. Uh, like I'm in MIPS, which is a company uh, listed on the stock exchange, very profitable. Uh, I'm in Fishbrain, which is a private company. So it's not listed, but uh, it's uh, definitely left the startup scene uh, quite a while ago. And so I have, I meet companies from ideation stage up to, or, you know, listing uh, or being on the stock exchange and everything in between. So I think uh, both both the mature and the immature companies have a lot to learn from each other. So I really love that uh, variety. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a great experience and really like the broad experience that you can learn from. And like you said, like they can learn a lot from each other. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because some things the early companies do well that then the bigger companies lose and the lo- the bigger companies have maybe processes that are better in place and mm. yeah. and pro yeah. So, what do you see that um the founders that you meet what are they struggling with like what are their issues what are their hurdles like what do they need to funding funding is that the Being number one in the valley of death <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah of uh, course so uh, they have uh, um, there's so many amazing people out there i get so impressed and energized and i almost uh, get teary eyed when i think about it uh, all that uh, innovation and passion to often make the world a better place in different ways um and uh, they uh struggle with cash <laughs> and uh what else do they struggle with they also struggle with finding people uh, that uh, complement them cuz uh, maybe you're a founder with a great vision, but maybe you're not a techie. So you maybe a lot of them are looking for a, a tech lead or a CTO, for example, um, or some other competence. Maybe they need uh, somebody who's strong in finance. Um, and then it becomes like, how do I, I don't have somebody in my network with these capabilities or uh, I can't pay them a full salary yet. Uh, what do I do? That's also a very common uh, topic of discussion, I would say. Um, so getting in touch with the investors and, and uh, finding the right uh, team with the uh, limited resources. Mm. 
Yeah, but what do you advise them to do? Do you advise them to go to a startup events or uh, put something on LinkedIn? Or how how what do you advise them? Yeah, how, how can I find think a different uh, people who solve this have done it in in different ways. I know I met one female founder who uh, worked on her idea through Antler, for example, and they it's part of their sort of core uh, method to help people found co-founders. So I think that's a great idea and. The other way people, uh, it's LinkedIn, actually. LinkedIn is, uh, and sometimes you may be needing to go out to comfort zone to just stone cold uh, contact people on LinkedIn that has no clue who you are or what your business do. And uh, I'm sure uh, some people don't respond, for example. They, maybe they're not in at LinkedIn too often or they get uh, so uh, swamped with uh, direct messages through LinkedIn or Instagram that they just stopped looking at them. Uh, so um, just not give up, I think. Post ads uh, and reach out to people. I, I mean, I think you'd be surprised. Most people really want to help Uh, so maybe they can't be the person who will join your startup. Uh, maybe they they're already tied up in other things, or their their risk appetite is not of that nature that they want to leave their permanent job to start work for a startup. But uh, they can uh, connect you with other people, uh, and also like uh, network, go to events um where you get the opportunity to meet and talk to to other people i would say mm. yeah and sometimes you just need to ask yeah you think about it but yeah. you don't make the ask no and you have to like be open for unconventional solutions too i think uh i um i had a breakfast with one female entrepreneur that i meet from time to time and we she had found a a, a Uh, a, a CTO uh, to come on board, uh, and uh, as a she's partly paying him with shares of the company, uh, and he's actually based in Germany, uh, and she uh, found him through con- contacts on LinkedIn. She posted an ad, and then she had an acquaintance contact her and say, you know, I know somebody uh, that might be a good guy, but he's in Germany. Uh, but so, uh, and she met a lot of resistance from people around her that, uh, oh, but you have to have somebody uh, close to you physically. And, uh, but she believed in him and um, they got a good connection. And now, so they meet uh, sometimes, but not that often. And they communicate through, you know, digital uh, channels every day now. So be be open to uh Those kind of things, I think. Yeah, and I think that the pandemic has really pushed business yeah. in that direction. Yeah. That it's more common and more okay to not be in the same country or in the same city. Um, that it's more okay to have a um, distributed team. Yeah, and uh, I work with another female entrepreneur. She has developers, like one in Israel and one somewhere else, and mm. um, Ukraine and what have you. It's also about cost right yeah and uh finding people who are interested in uh working on your vision uh but maybe who don't uh, charge a full salary mm. or yeah but how do you build a good um culture a company culture when you are working in different places how to build a good culture i 
I don't know if there is a one size fits all, but what I found successful in the past is making a joint effort with the team. So as a leader or management team or whatever, as an entrepreneur, you might have a clear view on what kind of culture and behavior uh, that you want, uh, what type of persons, uh, personalities that you think uh, are going to be successful in your environment. But uh, I think marry that with, if you have an existing team already, Uh, talk to them about it. What do they think is needed? Uh, what do they appreciate the most? Uh, what kind of behavior do they not like? And then sort of make, it's a combination of bottom up and top down. I don't personally believe in just leaving it up to the team uh, to decide all by themselves. These are going to be our core values and how we behave. Uh, I think um, they have their perspective and I think you need to marry that with your own view and uh, what's your rule of thumb or most important things to you and what do you, because then it's sort of anchored in what the team can sort of recognize their own view in the in the sort of final result, but, but you still have what you think are important things uh, and what are the priorities. And then I think you don't, you're not done when you're done with the PowerPoint presentation. You know, you have nice words and you explain what they are and maybe you have a kickoff where you talk about this. Uh, I've been at so many kickoffs talking about values. Yeah, and you, you need <laughs> How to should we treat each other? What yeah. are is corporate value? And then yeah. you, you go to the daily work and yeah. that gets forgotten in a draw. Yeah, yeah. so it's, this work never ceases. Uh, the moment you relax is when it's going to like diverge mm. and become subcultures or people forget about it. So it's consistency and being a nag. Yeah, live your values uh, yeah. every day. Yeah. yeah, and also you need the management team need to be role models and lighthouses because if they don't behave like that, it's like with children, you know. If the parents uh, say one thing, but they behave in a different way themselves, the children aren't going to do what the parents say. They're going to do what the parents do. Yes, uh, it, 100%. And that's uh, the same with the teams, right? Uh, how should I respect you when you say I should be this and that when you don't act like that? And uh, so I think uh, as a leader, you also need to be open for feedback and being challenged and change maybe your own behavior and look yourself in the mirror a lot. And um, often when you're in scale up or startup mode, you also grow. You bring on new people every day. And so um, you have to understand that at any given moment in time, There are going to be people on the team who weren't part of that kickoff a month ago. So they have no clue what you're talking about. So you have to repeat, 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 and also have uh, not just one-way communication telling people this is how we're supposed to behave. It's having that dialogue. So how do we make that come alive? How do we give each other feedback? Um, and uh, culture will always be there. Uh, the question is, is it a culture that you think is uh, the best for the company's success? So if you want to shape the culture, you need to be very active, I think, as a founder or a CEO or a leader. Mm. 
Yeah, agree, hundred percent. Yeah, and definitely you have to act in the way you want people to act. Yeah, and and repeat. repeat. And then it's also yeah. about uh, the recruitment. I think mm. being uh, and working it into development, coaching talks uh, between uh, leader and coworker, and um, also when you recruit. Don't recruit people who you think will not be comfortable uh, living according to those values. And not just look at the resume, uh, but really look at their personalities. When do they feel the most empowered and, and engaged and motivated? What kind of companies have they worked for in the past? Um And to really, and and I think that also requires training of those who recruit. So now maybe I'm talking about not the startup phase, but more when you come to scale up phase. You have a slightly larger team. You're starting to bring on board. Maybe you're not the one who recruit all the people. Maybe you have uh, each leader of their department is recruiting their own teams, and or you have HR. And to how do you? It's really an art to not post leading questions. Uh, so how do you make people talk about their preferred company culture and behavior and how they solved problem without giving them the answer? So not saying, so uh, at, at here at this company, we think it's important to uh, take initiative uh, do you think it's important to take initiative? And then the interview uh, person who wants the job say, yeah, I love to take initiative. I would never work for a company. So instead say, so uh, tell me about a situation where you uh, took initiative to implement changes or a new product or um where you took the lead uh, without being asked and how did you do that and how, and what happened with that project uh, then you don't tell them that initiative is important uh, you just have them talk about that because i've also experienced when you talk to references for example and you ask was this a person who displayed uh, the ability to take initiative And the reference says, yes, absolutely. This guy took initiative a lot. But in their mind, what is initiative? Maybe their um, yardstick of initiative is uh, come up with a proposal and uh, lifting problems. Uh, that's their view of one initiative because maybe that's a very hierarchical uh, organization where you're not allowed to do more than that. You just park your idea with management. Uh, but maybe you as an entrepreneur or founder or leader for a bigger company, I don't know, you think that initiative is actually also uh, leading the project, being uh, self-led and uh, not just waiting for you to, uh, because you have a full agenda, so you don't have time, right? So you need to think about what do I think is important when it comes to initiative and how do I ask questions without leading that person of what do they think is initiative? So it's it's a bit, you have to be like a 
almost like a psychologist. <laughs> but it's it's very important because yeah, yeah, otherwise yeah, yeah. you will rec- spend a lot of resource and time recruiting people who don't fit your company culture. And it's very hard to retrain people if they come with very fundamental uh, view on on um, v- values. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the core of your company is yeah. the value. And I, yeah, that's so interesting that what you're mentioning like opening like asking open questions and really because then you can really hear what people bring up and how do they talk about yeah. this initiative? Do they talk it or their former company or their former uh, work tasks or whatever? Do they talk about them in a positive way or in a negative way or like what words do they bring up? And and also what you said, like different people associate different things in, in different ways, like what you, for example, like initiative that I never thought about that in that and, way. And but a that's a so lot true. of people also actually don't fit in the startup and scale up world. Uh, they get burnt out uh, because they cannot, uh, uh, they're not comfortable in uh, the kind of pace and insecurity. It's an uncertain world. Uh, sometimes you don't know if you're going to get a paycheck uh, next week uh, because uh, funding rounds are open or um, it's uh, a very changing environment uh, all the time. And uh, you don't have, you have to trust that people can just run with it without uh, getting detailed directions every day. And some people, and there's nothing right or wrong. It's not something that you should place judgment on, but but i i truly believe that uh, it's it's about sometimes fundamentally what situations you do you thrive in that uh, pace and uh, insecure world or or do you uh, prefer more stable environment mm. yeah yeah exactly it's nothing nothing is better or like worse it's just like it's just different it's different and it depends on how you are as a person and what environment you thrive yeah exactly yeah Yeah, exactly and you have to find the right people for you because otherwise people burn out or Mm. they would not blossom in in that environment so important but um you work or you see a lot of female uh, founders so what is the best advice that you give them when you see them? Well, I think it's the same advice that I would probably give to men to a certain degree. Um, but uh, I mean, statistically clear, it's the, it's harder for female entrepreneurs to raise uh, funding. Uh, and uh, I think you have to work both angles, actually, not just uh, to a large extent, you need to try and influence uh, the professional investor community uh, in how they uh, evaluate teams and companies uh, as part of their decision making, because it's to large. I mean, studies show that it's a, a lot of time it's quite biased actually. Um, but on the female side, I think you also need to be prepared for what you're up against, <laughs> and so um, I want them to be themselves, uh, but uh, be aware of. Uh, what they might be up against uh, bias. And so when you talk about in the pitch deck and in the pitches, for example, uh, to be uh, data driven, 
Uh, and uh, how do you explain the problem? How do you quantify the problem? Uh, I've met, uh, heard that speaking of what you asked me earlier, what kind of companies do you invest in? And I said, I invest in uh, companies where I think I have the capacity to evaluate, uh, you know, if this is a good business or not. And and uh, I think for men and women, you know, it's so if you are in a femtech uh, business, for example, uh, it can be hard to persuade male investors because a lot of the times they are male, right? Because that's where the capital reside today. So how can you, so men might feel uncomfortable because they can't relate. Uh, maybe if they have a wife or a girlfriend, they have seen her struggles with whatever it is. And then maybe they can understand that this is a real problem. But if they don't, uh, how can you, uh, how can you describe the problem in terms that they understand in terms of data, in terms of quantifying the cost to society, for example, that nobody's dealing with the problem or a cost to companies or so they can assess the magnitude of the problem and your solution to that and more be more in analog terms, maybe than maybe a female would intuitively understand this is a huge problem because they experienced it themselves. But men don't always relate to it. So you have to find other ways of quantifying the issue. That, um, and uh, also, I think the good thing about women is that they're quite hands-on. Uh, they might not uh, try to sell uh, a vision with no backup. So they have worked out how they're going to solve the problem. They have a clear roadmap. This is what we're going to do the next couple of years. Uh, and again, it's about bias. A lot of investors... They want grand plans and huge uh, addressable market numbers and a very strong vision about becoming global leader. And you might think that was a stereotype. It doesn't mean that my business will be a worse investment. Maybe it's the other way around. Maybe I'm the better bet, actually. Uh, but I think what you need to understand, if you're raising big money now we're not talking angels but angels also want to make good money right they're not in this for charity so i think what sometimes you forget is that professional investors uh, to be able to get the return on their investment they need the company valuation to become quite big uh, and uh, a lot of the institutional investors like uh, VC funds, they have minimum ticket sizes. And so they can't enter companies that are too small. So they need the company to have the uh, at least hypothetical capacity to become really, really large or they're, they're not allowed to invest. And then if then you have to paint them the picture and make them realize that this can become a massive company, not just taking care of the Swedish population, but the European or the global, or we're going to take America and we're going to take Germany or whatever, um, because otherwise they can't make their investment case uh, to, to actually enter. So that's something that I tend to 
need to talk more to female entrepreneurs than male entrepreneurs. I don't know why this is, but uh, and then also the co-founder thing. It seems like more women found businesses by themselves, uh, where it's more common that uh, men do it together with with others, and uh, that's often a critical uh, investment decision point for a lot of investors because uh, they see that statistically you are more likely to succeed if you're more than one founder. It's 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 the fact, right? Uh, it's nothing personal, but it's uh, it's it's fact. And um, so that's something that if you haven't, if you have founded your business by yourself, uh, how do you how do you make them comfortable? that you're not any less resilient or maybe you should even find a co-founder. Um, you don't have to give away your half of the company, but maybe some portion. I think they also want to see that your team are invested in the company's success uh, through shares uh, or option programs. Uh, that's a hard decision-making factor for a lot of investors. Yeah. And sometimes you maybe like to look for a co-founder, but if you can't find one or if you can't find a perfect fit, maybe then you can find a team yes. that you can offer shares or, or options or, or exactly. to be more invested. Yeah. yeah. Another thing that I talk to uh, entrepreneurs about is dilution. And this is really a hard question and you have to decide what's right for you. But uh, I really encourage people to try to minimize dilution uh, as much as they can. Um, because if you lose the decision-making power over your company at an early stage, um, part of it is you might lose your vision and there are other forces that make decisions that maybe you don't agree with and they can have an influence on who you recruit and what route you're going to take and what country you're going to take and how you're going to develop a product that you just don't believe in. Uh, and uh, the other factor is also about investability. So it's also a, uh, a very real checkbox on investors' uh, due diligence list. A lot of investors won't enter companies where the uh, founders are uh, too diluted too early on. And how how do you achieve this? Because when you raise money, you want as much money as possible. So you get a long runway. You don't have to spend your entire uh, days fundraising all the time. So you can focus on developing the business. Uh, but if you can, try and protect your share and develop the value of the company before next funding round so that you are not so diluted. How do you do that? Well, if you fundraise in a perfect world, and maybe this was easier a couple of years ago when we weren't in this difficult environment of fundraising, you you invest, uh, you um, take in new investors at smaller tranches. You don't do so large fundraisings. So... Um, raise a little bit less money and then you work on launching the product, generating more users, having more track record, uh, that will increase your valuation. So next time when you raise money, you can raise a little bit more money, but the valuation, the base valuation is larger. 
so you don't get uh, that much dilution. And so you raise in smaller tranches, building the company valuation throughout. Today, sometimes, you know, if there is money on the table, you grab it and you run, right? Of uh, course, yeah. So uh, you have to make that decision based on the demand among investors that you see and how resilient are you, how much uh, funding do you have? Do you have already strong investors in the cap table that are willing to put up with more money when you need it? Uh, or um, So it's it's not one size fits all, but uh, dilution is uh, important. Mm. Very good, very good advice for for startup founders. Yeah, and one just one uh, question. I'm just curious. You mentioned that you meet more women and that you like work more with women today. And you also mentioned you don't have anything against men. And but why do you think that is? I think yeah, role models play an important part. And um, I used to be a more public figure earlier uh, when I was uh, CEO of Real, for example. So I think I was visible. And uh, so women reached out to me because maybe they are they want to hear a woman's uh, perspective and uh, experience. And um, so it just happened. And then... Obviously, I've learned more and more about how hard it is for uh, women to raise funding for their businesses. I don't know, maybe it's uh, becoming of age or something like how I, it's important to me to feel like I have a positive impact. What can I do to have a positive impact on our society and our world? And, and how can I make use of what I've learned so far uh, for the benefit of others? And so... It just uh, happened that way that I saw, okay, I can uh, I can be of help here. Uh, so, uh, for example, when joining FemInvest, uh, who is all about accelerating female ownership and uh, both investing in public markets, but also investing in private companies and helping entrepreneurs raise money. So it uh, it just feels uh, I can I can put my experience of for use to other people. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's just happened this way. Yeah. And you are a great role model. <laughs> Thank you. No, but you are. I mean, I think, um, yeah, you have, I mean, you have such a broad experience, both from early stage and then also from later stage. Mm. And I think that's that's very important to see other wo- women thrive and, and succeed and like um, being CEO of an IPO company yeah. or soon to be IPO company. I think that that's, I mean, that's rare, unfortunately. So, yeah, so. it's a shame. Um, yeah. There were a number of female CEOs uh, that uh, left their positions uh, same year as me last year. And unfortunately, I think all of them were replaced by men. So the World Bright report said that the percentage of female uh, CEOs at uh, Stock Exchange uh, actually went down. So it's a shame. And I think uh, in times of uh, crisis, uh, people tend to fall back on things that they feel comfortable with and if they are more comfortable with men being in charge maybe I have no idea if that's maybe it was just a coincidence but uh, the numbers are clear Mm. that that's what happened but I do so obviously I'm a feminist but I mean feminism is about equality and gender equality so we need to do this together men and women 
because it's to um, the greater good of the entire society if we have a, an equal society. And uh, the, the numbers are clear that female-led companies are more profitable and grow better. So it's about business too, right? It's not just, it's not about uh, charity. Uh, it's about uh, fostering uh, successful companies that are even more successful. And I think it's uh, also important that a lot of women focus on solving problems that uh, nobody has attended to before because they have been affecting mostly women. And it just look at the pharmaceutical industries uh, have not been as focused on developing uh, drugs for attending specific female problems, uh, research uh, around female uh, issues. Uh, you know, you could just you could just go on and on and on. So I think uh, women are attacking uh, important societal problems um, that hasn't been taken care of before. Mm, yeah. But we need to do it together, both men and women, yeah. realizing yeah. that it's uh, beneficial for everybody. Yeah, and I think that, I mean... I've been thinking about this as well, like you with the podcast and being part of women in AI. Like I, I also want to be a role model and support women, but I don't want to exclude men because I think that they are an important piece mm. for women to succeed as well. Um, and I was like debating for this podcast, should I interview men as well? But then I was like, I still want to showcase more role models because we need more female role models. But I'm very grateful for the 20% men that listen to the podcast. Yeah. I'm super happy yeah. that there are men that are interested yeah. in the topic and, and also hearing these uh, issues and from a female perspective yeah. as well. But, uh, you know, I, uh, then I would like to encourage you to actually bring on a few men because I think men also need role models uh, to... I saw and I reposted that on Instagram, for example, with a post on the UN um, Instagram account uh, saying that, I mean, are you feminist? Uh, yes uh, or or no? Uh, if the answer is no, uh, go back <laughs> and redo. <laughs> Because feminist is about equality. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not about being... Uh, militant uh, excluding men that men are bad no it's about uh, believing that uh, women and men are equally important to mm. society so uh, and i think men also need role models to see that other men uh, are joining forces with the women to create this uh, equality so i actually have a tip for somebody you could interview maybe Ooh, yeah <laughs> and it's uh, Per Spongberg he's the uh, founder of uh, Levels it's a venture studio and uh, i know he's a firm believer in in gender equality and and betting on uh, female entrepreneurs uh, so uh, i think that's uh, somebody that might be a good role model to talk about cool cool i'll definitely have a meeting with him if You'll make an introduction. I will absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that. because I think that I mean, especially since men sit more of the power and the capital, I think they are a very, very important piece to open doors and like join forces with women. And there are a lot of men that want to see uh, a change and a shift in more equality. So I think they are an important part of the mission as well. Wow, time flies, Maria. <laughs> so. Um, 
just for to wrap up uh, this uh, really great chat, thank you so much. Um, I also always ask in the end if there are other tech hustlers that you would like me to interview. So do you have any good news? Yeah, so without, uh, except Per, then. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think there are many. Um, I think uh, one uh, woman who I think is uh, badass, uh, that's Martina Klingvall, who is uh, founder and CEO of Telnes. Uh, so she's taking on a very huge, mature, traditional industry in the telco industry. And... Uh, She's getting all these awards now and she's a great person. I met her a couple of times, so I'm super impressed uh, by her. So I'm sure she can be a great role model for a lot of um, other entrepreneurs, men and female, uh, in how she got started and what advice she would give to to others to scale their businesses. Um, so that would be one one other person to, to talk to, I think, on the podcast if she has time. Yeah. Thank you so much and thank you for being a role model, supporting other women and young entrepreneurs in general. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. What did you think about today's episode? Let me know on LinkedIn and Instagram at TechHustler. This podcast is a passion project of mine. So if it speaks to you, it would mean a lot to me if you would give it a nice review and share it with your friends. See you next week, and until then, hustle smarter, not harder.